Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 463 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday, November 29th, 2022. Christmas shopping, I suppose, begins this week. Although we don't really participate in that, at least the subset of the group that are here, because I am your host, Sam Klein. I'm only joined by Jason Evans, and we are both Jewish. Uh, Donald Wine is not here because he is, uh, we are recording about an hour uh, before USA plays Iran in its third uh, World Cup group stage match. So we are recording this, and then the match will happen, and then we'll put this thing up, and then uh, whatever feelings you are processing about that will not relate to the feelings that you're processing about the Duke-Purdue game. Jason, hi. Sorry, I had I had just too much to share. Yeah, so a couple things. First of all, you said this is 463. I, I wish we could skip to 464. It is never fun doing a podcast after a Duke loss. This this was an especially troubling loss because we got we got our butts kicked. I mean, I know it was close for a little while in the second half, but things did not go well down the stretch against Purdue. And so, uh, you know, I'm not, it's not going to be fun to talk about. And then the other thing is, you talked about the U.S. Iran. Here's how important that that match is. I, I am I'm a writer and producer for CNN International, as folks know. And the lead story all day today on my newscast, the thing that I've been writing about the most is the U.S.-Iran football match, soccer match. Sorry, I'm, I'm in international mode. Uh, for a soccer match to be far and away, the lead story on an international newscast shows you what a big deal this is in an hour, hour and a half. Jason, while we wait for that match, let me push back on one thing you just said, and it'll segue us here into talking about the Purdue game. By the way, we're going to review the Purdue game, of course. We will try not to harp too much on the stuff that probably everyone saw on Sunday. And then we will obviously get to the preview of Duke's ACC Big Ten Challenge matchup against Ohio State, which is coming tomorrow night at Cameron Indoor Stadium. And again, before I get to the Purdue match, the most important thing is that I will be in attendance at the Duke-Ohio State game thanks to a DBR listener. So we'll we'll talk more about that after the break. But Jason, you said that Duke sort of came back a little bit or made it close against Purdue in the second half. I'm going to push back on you. The According to the Ken Palm win probability chart, uh, Purdue was at least 83% likely to win this game throughout the entire second half. That percentage uh, climbed to 75% with like 11 minutes into this game. Purdue basically ran away from Duke from the start and there was like no response that Duke had for Zach Eady. So let's, let's talk about that, but let's start with headlines. So I want to get your headline. There were a ton of great listener headlines from this one. I think oh yeah, it's a combination of us telling you all to send us your headlines and the fact that this was an emotional one. People really like we were getting headlines. I, I was watching this in my inbox. We were getting headlines before the game was over, like, three, four minutes left in the game, we were starting to get headlines. I don't like this uh, this mentality from the listeners. I think you all need to go back and, and watch uh, uh, Gone in 54 Seconds a few more times before you start sending us, you know, headlines with four minutes left in the game. But we understand. Well, well and we got, we got one play of the game that I wanted to mention, a play of the game nominee from Chris Berry. Chris Berry wrote to us and he said, my play of the game was, me turning the TV off with eight minutes to go. Yeah, I like I like that one. So, Jason, give me your headline. I'll give you mine, and then I want to I want to shout out a few of the listener headlines as well. Okay, cool. Uh, my headline, and a lot of people played off of this. My headline is Duke fails to scale Mount Edie. That that dude, that dude is a mountain. He is huge. Derek, I want to point out something. Derek Lively is seven one, and he looked tiny. Like Ryan Young is a legit college center. Ryan Young is a good college center. Ryan a big Young, college center. He's yes, yes. These these guys looked so small next to Zach Eady. It was terrifying. This is the the same conversation we had over the summer when we were watching the Victor Wenbanyama highlights, and then there were the yes pictures, yes. The, the the pictures of him with Rudy Gobert. It's yeah. like you know that Rudy Gobert is like seven two, right? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Zach Eady is enormous. Uh, I, I merely had her dope. Uh, I, I was feeling like Homer Simpson this morning. So that's my that's my very simple headline. I wanted to read one from uh, listener Jared Strauss. 
I don't know if Jason, if you were going to pull this one out. Yes, I, I pulled out three that I like. Jared's was one of them. Go for it. So Jared's was Boilermaker's tall boy leaves Duke without a shot. Uh, apologies. Well, there, to the there, are three, but... there are three separate alcohol references in there. I really love it. Well done. Well yeah. done, Jared. Fantastic. What? Which ones did you like, Jason? The other ones I liked. Lee Maxson came in with steam from Boilermakers makes Duke's freshman evaporate. Ooh. Uh, pretty good. And then Clinton Weaver, who writes to us quite often, said, Zach Attack dooms Duke, which, uh, you know, I just, anytime you can go Zach Attack. Yeah, that, that was a good one, too. All right. So do you want to start with good? Give, give me, and 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 I, I am almost sure that I know, we have not pre-coordinated this. I am almost sure that I know what your highlight is from this game for Duke. In, uh, in, not, in, not in the, not in the, like, highlight play, but in the standout performance in this game from Duke. I mean, well, it has to be Tyrese Proctor. Certainly. Uh, of course. But the, the, and, 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 you know, let me, let me actually, let me start with Tyrese Proctor because he showed a really superior mid range game. Um, he, he also led the team in assists in addition to, you know, scoring a lot of points. Um, he had just one turnover uh, seven of nine on his two point shots. And that's what I was talking about with that mid range game. All of, almost all of those two point baskets, the seven of nine, he shot from two, were short to medium range jumpers that came from him sort of probing the defense, probing the lane. And th this is the Tyrese Proctor that NBA scouts have been raving about and, and who NBA scouts see as a likely first round draft pick next year. We, we just, we really need him to be more consistent um, because goodness knows you and I've had games even very, very recently where we talked about how poor P Tyrese Proctor played and, and there's been a lot of talk, you know, oh, is it time for Jalen Blakes even to move into the starting lineup ahead of Tyrese Proctor? Uh, you know, when you see a game like this, you see why Tyrese Proctor is in the starting lineup, why he is playing big minutes for Duke and why he has such a bright future. I just want to see it a little more consistently. But but I loved that Tyrese Proctor was was looking for his shot. Uh, he was hunting that that mid-range pull up. It's sort of similar to his step back shot that I've talked about so much where he he sort of jumps backwards on it. So he creates extra space for himself. Um, I, you know, he looked great, especially early in the game. I thought Tyrese Proctor, you know, looked really, really good. He is really one of the very, very few players on the team that had even a moderately decent game, uh, even though he was very poor from three point range, just like everyone on the team was. And we've talked so much about how well the bench has supported in in Proctor's lack of production so far this season, Jalen Blakes and Jacob Grandison uh, combine to score zero points in this game and and were not the sort of effective game changers that they have been replacing uh, Proctor and, and some of the other wings at points during the season where, look, we've, we've said that like one of the best things has been uh, that you can bring those guys off the bench. And I was speculating on the last show about uh, is Jalen Blakes going to be in the starting lineup? I don't, <laughs> I don't, maybe I was being uh, a little too forward with that. And and maybe John Shire knows a little bit about what's going on here, but uh, the, the bench play did not support the the starters at all in this game with, you know, as you mentioned, all the poor shooting. Yeah. I mean, I do want to say, you know, in the good uh, Duke did play very well. The first five minutes of this ball game, we turned them over with some steals. We showed superior athleticism um, early on. Derek Lively was not getting pushed around at all by, by Mount Edie. And, and we were able to, to sort of keep him away from dominating the game early on. But, but then Purdue went on a 23 to four run. And it it's just, it, it's so hard to talk about the good without segueing into the bad. I'll, I'll wait just a little bit longer. And I'll say the other good stuff I had was, I thought that the team showed a, a good degree of fight. I don't feel like they gave up. Even when they were failing to score in the second half, they were still hustling and trying hard and, and seemed like they believed that they could come back and win it. <clears throat> I mean, after Purdue had that big first half run that I mentioned, uh, we could have gotten down ourselves and we didn't. Um, they, they cut it to seven with about nine minutes left in the second half. And I thought that Duke was going to make an even even more of a run from there. But we just, uh, you know, we kept on missing those three pointers, even wide open three pointers. And and the and then the only other thing I had in the good was I was very intrigued that Duke switched from a man to man to his own. It seemed to flummox Purdue at times, and it gave us a little bit of life. 
And I like the verse. We've talked a lot about how versatile this team is. I like the versatility that we can play some zone like that. And uh, it feels like something that we should be able to succeed at more often. And we otherwise have not seen Duke playing zone much this season. I, I don't think at all. So it, it speaks to, we, and we've talked about how the defense has been, it seems ahead of the offense in a lot of ways for this team, maybe Kyle Filipowski aside. And by the way, Filipowski, just side note, uh, his third ACC rookie of the week award. Uh, yeah. So he's, 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 he's perfect so far in winning the ACC rookie of the week award. Uh, and has a, has a very pedestrian, like 14 points in this game. And, uh, and you know, so, so we have to give Kyle Filipowski continued credit. It's becoming a ho-hum thing that, you know, he's, he's, he's scoring a lot of buckets and is even in a game, this game, he's like not super efficient, but he's efficient enough um, that he's not one of the, he's not one of the guys that we're calling out. Going back though, to the defense, we've said that the defense is farther along, I think, than the offense this season. And if Duke is now able to add new defensive wrinkles, and if John Shire is comfortable putting uh, installing new defenses and, and and new defensive schemes with this team with a lot of youth and a lot of new players that speaks really highly, at least to the team's like ability to, to play together and, and their maturity, despite the offensive struggles, right? Duke is not going yeah. to go two for 19 in from three in every game this season. This is hopefully an aberration. Uh, and well, so things, things could, I think things can get a lot better from this game. Duke hits a few more threes and at least maybe Duke still loses, um, but it doesn't look as, as lopsided as it does here. Well, uh, uh, can we segue into the bad now? I think that, sure. I mean, yeah. So, so the three point shooting has to be a big concern. There is no easy way to say it. Duke, Duke is downright bad on offense and bad from three. When we have been outside away from Cameron indoor stadium, we have now played four games, four games, not in Cameron. I'm going to give you our three-point stats from those four games. Get ready for it. These are not pretty numbers. Against Kansas, 3 of 21. Oregon State, 5 of 29. Xavier was good, 5 of 11. That's really good. And then Purdue, 2 of 19. But if you combine all those together, you get away from home. Duke is 15 of 80. 15 of 80, Sam, on three-pointers away from home. That is 18.75%. My friend, that sucks. You cannot win basketball games against decent opponents shooting 18.75% on three-pointers. You just can't. The Ed, <laughs> I don't know why this reminded me of this in this moment because we've certainly talked about bad three-point shooting before and my mind wandered to, one, the uh, historical accusation that uh, Cameron has soft rims, which has helped Duke's three-point shooting in, in the past. Um, it's so silly. Hang on. I mean, because the opponent it, would, the opponent would have it too. Because the opponent gets the same out, benefit. They don't change out the rims that each have. So, so then, so then, so then here's here's the thing that I came to. Uh, uh, for folks who went to Duke, uh, there is a. I don't. I don't know if he's still working there. If he is, and I, I know there are folks in the in the pro shop that listen to this uh, show. So email us dbrpodcast at gmail if Tim Miller is still coaching uh, Duke undergrads in golf class at at the Washington Duke Inn, uh, where I where I took golf class for one semester, and and uh, Duke quarterback Sean Renfrey was my was my partner in that class, which was extremely That's fun. Pretty cool. That's yeah, pretty that was fun. fun. Uh, uh, Tim Miller, uh, fame his his most famous uh, like golf uh, practice trick is that he would dig small holes for putting practice. So you had to practice getting the ball directly in the hole and not hitting the sides of the hole. So I don't, I assume he didn't invent this. I assume that this is something that, that real golfers are doing all the time, but uh, he would refer to that as little Larry. And I uh, propose that Duke needs to install some little Larry rims to get, to get the three point shooting uh, uh, sort of in line, you know, get, get some, get some little Larry's up in the K center and, and maybe, maybe they'll figure it out. Maybe they'll get better. Maybe the, the, the rims are just the are just the wrong size to practice on. Uh, you know, I I thought it would be impossible for us to shoot worse than we did against Oregon State from three, and I was wrong. <laughs> I mean, uh, that was the bad. difference in the game. Let's let's be clear. I mean, Roach, Proctor, Mitchell, Whitehead, Grandison, and Blakes. Those are our perimeter players. Those are the guys playing on the outside. 
those guys combined to shoot O of 13. <laughs> and O of 13. And a lot of them were wide open. A lot it's of them, bad. you know. Yeah. It's bad. They, they, so they were, so let's let's agree that yeah. if Duke has a great shooting night against Ohio State tomorrow, we are not going to overreact. Yes. And we are going to wait until the game next Tuesday at Madison Square Garden against Iowa. NBA rims, they're not changing those out. So we will we will find and and by the way, big sight lines, the whole thing like you know, one of the things that we always talk about as being important about these neutral site games is that they mimic the feel of being in an NCAA tournament, which is yeah. not a great indicator for this team right now. But Duke gets one more shot at at that neutral court atmosphere next Tuesday in in MSG. And and last thing I want to mention on the shooting. It's easy to go, oh, we didn't shoot well from three, but they dominated us in a lot of other phases of the game. Do you know what the reality is? That's not entirely true. Like the difference in this game was at the three-point line. Purdue hit close to 40%. Duke hit 10%. On two-point shots, Sam, on two-pointers, Duke was 19 of 39. Purdue was 19 of 40. We're basically the same team shooting from two. They had a couple more free throws than we did, but very, very similar profiles in terms of shooting statistics for these two teams, except for that three-point line. The three-point line was the difference in the game. And this team just, we must find additional scoring options, especially if the threes aren't falling. And I have to believe that Dariq Whitehead is going to be that. I, I just, I saw him play in high school. I saw him play in all-star games. I know that this guy can be a hugely impactful scorer upon a game. He's just too good to continue to struggle the way he's struggling. But man, that injury rust is just, it's just taking forever to, to come off for him. And and I, I feel like this is going to be a different team when he gets back. And I, I liked, I liked that he he got into the lane a little bit better in this game. He wasn't just settling for the for the long jumpers that drive me crazy a little bit, even though he's quite good at them. Um, but you but, hate that, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's so, yeah. It's so annoying but, when they're good at it. One of our emailers, Jonathan Bow. Um, sent us an email about uh, about Whitehead and and Lively that I, that I wanted to share with the with the rest of the listeners because I think it's really prescient. He said, December tenth to twenty first. I'm sorry, to thirty first, the twenty one day period from December tenth to December thirty first, where Duke has only one game, is a hugely hugely important part of the season for this team. We have to develop new habits. We have to figure out how to play. With Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively, they have to figure out their roles, and that right now we're trying to learn on the fly from game to game, and that's not the way good teams are formed. And Jonathan is dead right about that. That is just that's a big, big time period for this team to turn what is thus far a somewhat shaky season into what I still think can be a great one. And I certainly hope that that Jonathan has the has the right point there. I have been sort of thinking about how it, especially for Lively, whose injury I thought was going to be less severe than, than Whitehead's. I think the assumption on Whitehead is that, is that he was going to be out for a while at the beginning of the season. And then even when he came back, it was going to be slow going. It's concerning to me now that, um, that Lively still hasn't sort of integrated better, especially because we have this good big man rotation. Like, I don't know that Duke, was going to rely on Derek Lively playmaker so much this season because they have a good rotation of bigs because Kyle Filipowski has come on so strong during the season. And we knew that Ryan Young was going to be a reliable backup for Whitehead. There's probably a little bit more stress that like he, you know, he needs to be a big playmaker. He needs to be a focal point for Duke. And so I'm, I'm sort of willing to let that slow roll a little bit more. I am concerned about, about Derek Lively's, uh, you know, ability to come back here. And I'm getting, uh, I'm getting, I, I hate making this comparison, but I'm getting shades of the Harry Giles situation from a few years ago where he was healthy, but he wasn't really healthy yet. He came back and we never really saw the the peak Harry Giles when in his year at Duke. I, I don't know, you know, I, I certainly don't know details about I, I, injuries and stuff. I mean, so I, I it, it, it reminds me of the situation only because he was such a star high school, big man, athletic, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know if it's going to turn out like that. And maybe, look, maybe it'll happen this week. Maybe we'll come back from the 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 
long extended uh, Christmas plus exams period. And all of a sudden, Lively and Whitehead will be back in shape and, and better integrated. Maybe I just have to give it time. So I'll push back on the Giles comparison for a couple of reasons. The first one is for Harry Giles, you were talking about a couple ACLs um, and he had missed, you know, like to compare the amount of time that, that Lively missed and the time that Harry Giles missed, you can't compare it. It's, it's, you know, night and day. Lively was, Lively missed like two or three weeks and Harry, Harry Giles missed two years. Um, so it's a huge, huge difference. Also, I think they're very, very, they're very different players. And I know you weren't saying that they're the same kind of player, but I think a lot of what Lively does really well is shot blocking and protecting the rim and being a mobile and active defender at, at his size. And I don't think rust affects that quite as much as it does shooting touch and offensive moves and and knowing where to make the right pass and that kind of stuff. To me, Lively has been... Fairly like I thought Lively did a decent job on Zach Eady, um, especially early in that game. So to me, it's not been his defense. The thing that troubles me about Lively is that I'm not I'm not seeing any semblance of much offense. Although he did step out and take some take some three pointers in this game, and we've heard that that's something that he's capable of doing. But um, I, I just don't see the the Harry Giles comparison that much. Hey Sam, if I can, really quick, I, I do want to. I got a couple advanced stats that I, I want to go through just very quickly before we wrap up the bad here. The so first of all, it's not an advanced stat, but something that I that I look at when I'm when I'm thinking about you know a game from a statistical standpoint is where did you take your shots? Look at the shot chart. the The Duke defense did a very poor job of forcing Purdue into shots they did not want. If you you can go to ESPN's you know pages about about this game, and one of them. The play-by-play page includes a shot chart. Look at the Purdue shot chart. It is stunning. Everything, I mean, everything Purdue took in this game was either a three-pointer, very efficient shot, three-pointers are always efficient, or in the lane. And not just in the lane, but like literally in the middle of the lane, like uh, in front of the basket. A Zach Eady. Well, not just Zach Eady. It was other guys on the team as well who got in there. It was mostly Zach Eady, but... It is amazing. Like if you could design the perfect shot chart, <laughs> it would be what Purdue did in this game. I'm almost surprised they didn't score more than they did in this contest. When you look at that shot chart, then you look at the Duke shot chart, it's all over the place. And it's clear that, you know, part of it is we were a little more desperate. Part of it is we have guys like Roach and Whitehead and Proctor uh, who don't mind taking sort of mid-range jumpers that are not the most efficient shot for the most part. But but man, it is. If you just look at those shot charts, you're like, you can tell who won the game. But then the other advanced stats that I really like the assist rate, like Duke, Duke only really scored off the dribble. We did very little passing for scores. Duke only assisted on 38% of our shots. Purdue, meanwhile, their assist rate was 65%, which is not like the hugest number, but it's a pretty good number. And then the other thing that stuck out this Duke team has, has buttered its bread this season on offensive rebounding. We've talked about it. We've been like the best offensive rebounding team in the country against Purdue. Our coming into this game, just for perspective, our offensive rebounding rate was like above forty-four percent. I forget the exact number, but it was right in that 45 percent range. In this game, Duke's offensive rebounding rate was twenty-eight percent. Purdue, meanwhile, forty-one percent. So even when they missed a shot, they were pretty darn likely to get the rebound. And and for them to beat us on the boards the way they did, they beat us by eleven on the boards. Not only had Duke not been out rebounded all year, but we'd like we'd been beating teams by double digit rebounds every single game up until this game. It is remarkable what Purdue was able to do to us. Part of it is to give me concern about Duke, but part of it is also to say, hey, tip of the hat, Purdue, man, they were outstanding. And by the way, Duke is going to play another good rebounding team this week in Ohio State. That that's the one coming up tomorrow night. So this is this is one where uh, where Duke has to turn around the tape specifically on on one of their strengths really quickly. Uh, they presumably flew back to Durham on on Sunday, so they had Monday and Tuesday to rest, recover, plan again for for this upcoming game. Speaking of that, Jason, let's take a quick break. Or I guess we should do. Uh, we should do our highlights um, from uh, from this game if you have any. No, I I thought about having a, uh, you know, I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, what am I going to pick? What's my favorite? There was not a favorite play. 
you know, oh, but I, I forgot to mention, by the way, the scoring droughts in this game. I, I this is we're supposed to be all done, but I, I had this in my notes and I just skipped over it. I've just got to go back to it. The scoring droughts in this game are something you don't see from a Duke team. With nine seventeen left in this game, Tyrese Proctor made a layup to make the score sixty-two to fifty-five, and Duke scored one more point the remainder of the game. One more point in the final nine seventeen. And that point was a free throw by Kyle Filipowski with seven minutes left. Zero points in the final seven minutes. That is a, wow, just a devastating scoring drought. And in the first half, we had we had like a five-minute run from the 13-minute mark to the eight-minute mark where we only scored two points. I, I talked earlier, you know, about the value that Dariq Whitehead will provide to this team when he is he is back. Duke has got to, there's got to be a guy who goes, you know what? Hey, we're struggling right now. I'm going to take it on myself to make sure that we that we get off of the number 18 or we get off of the number 60 uh, 55. You know, sometimes it's just you're stuck on a number and uh, man, but no, I sorry to get back on point Sam, I have no favorite play from this game. Fine, I won't have one either. Let's take a break, Jason. We will preview the Ohio State game and then we do need to talk very briefly about the fact that Duke just wrapped up an 8 and 4 football season with a win, a comeback win. Uh, against Wake Forest and uh, some some uh, revealing news about future ACC basketball scheduling. So stick around for all of that. We are back. Jason, we mentioned before the break that Duke is hosting Ohio State in Cameron this week. Uh, I don't know if there's any hangover for Ohio State as a as an institution after its enormous loss to Michigan uh, on, on the gridiron on Saturday. But if there is, let's hope for it because Ohio State comes in. Uh, they are ranked 19th in Ken Palm. Ken Palm basically thinks that this is a toss up other than the fact that the game is in Cameron. Uh, Duke is Duke is a three point favorite, according to Ken Pomeroy. But I think you can chalk most of that up to to uh, to the soft rims, so to say. So, Jason, give me sort of first a a a quick overview on Ohio State on Chris Holtman's team, and then we'll get into some of the more advanced analytics and and the the key players for for the Buckeyes. Yeah, as you mentioned, they are the number nineteen team in the land, and that is, uh, according to Ken Pomeroy, that is because of their offense. They have the number six offense, uh, most sixth most efficient offense in all of college basketball, and and that's you know. So, what is that offense built around? It is built around a team that takes good two point shots and hits them at a fifty five percent rate. That's a very very high number. Um, they are also deadly free throw shooters. They hit better than 80% of their free throws. They're pretty good at three-pointers. They hit about 34%, but they don't shoot a lot of threes. This is a team that mostly wants to get the ball um, in the lane and uh, you know and get a good, efficient shot against you. They do not turn the ball over. Um, uh, you know They're not like one of the top 10 in the country, but they're pretty close. They're very good at controlling turnovers. And they're, uh, you know, we've talked about rebounding. They're an outstanding rebounding team. Ohio State, the 17th best team in the country at offensive rebounding. So, And that's despite being kind of small. Um, they have Zed Key in the middle. He is 6'8", 255. That's a, that's a large man, that's Zed Key. <laughs> um, the rest of their lineup is full of guys who are like 6'6", uh, who can switch and play anywhere on the floor, but they aren't. their size isn't overwhelming. Um, switch, on... They can switch and they can rebound. Like, yes. yeah. don't, don't be, don't assume here i think that key is the only player that is is going to body duke up some of these six six guys are are uh, experienced and themselves pretty strong so i i would yeah. not look at the heights and think uh you know neutralize the one guy he's probably not as good as zach Eady, and then you'll figure out the rest yeah the other statistical things that jumped out at me is uh they're very good they're outstanding at defending the three-point line their opponents have hit just 26% of their three-pointers in the season. Duke, as we have noted, has struggled on three-point shooting. Heck, there have been some games where 26% would be good for Duke. <laughs> but Ohio State is just really good at, at defending the three-point line. And um, they're one of the few teams that's able to do that while not sacrificing two-point shots. 
Their opponents only hit 44% of their two-pointers. The one thing Ohio State does not do very well is they don't turn you over. They don't get steals. They don't get many turnovers at all. Their game is to get you to miss a contested shot and then grab the rebound. Their game is not really to turn you over and rush the other direction. Um, they, they're a team that just a few days ago lost to San Diego State, and you would have thought, oh, maybe this Ohio State team isn't that. I mean, San Diego State's good, but they're not, like, amazing. Um, but then they're, they're now around. ranked 18th in Kenpa. San Diego State's 18th, or they, or at least they were when when Ohio State played them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean they're they're good. So you so know. they're good. Yeah. Oh, so Ohio State lost that game, and then turned around. Sorry, and... sorry. They are they are 18th now. Uh, they are 18th now in Ken Palm. So, but I, I your your point is well met that it's not, you know, they're not Houston. They are not exactly. Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, the point I was going to make was after losing that game to San Diego State. Ohio State turned around and beat Cincinnati by 30 or almost 30. And then they took out Texas Tech by seven. Texas Tech is good. We know that Texas Tech is a quality, quality program. And Ohio State took them out. This is going to be a difficult opponent for, for the Blue Devils. Uh, this is, a you know, this Ohio State team is is impressive. And you, so you mentioned Zed Key, who, as, as you said, is the is the big man for uh, Ohio State. One other guy who, who gets a ton of, uh, it, it's not really minutes. They 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 play a fairly deep bench of guys who are playing between like 12 and 26 minutes or so. Uh, they, they have nine of those guys. But one of the guys who gets a lot of the touches for them is Justice Suing, um, who's one of these. I, I mentioned that there are a few of these guys that are that are bigger. Um, Bryce Sensabaugh is, a, is another sort of wide body, but he's he's only six, six. Uh, he, he comes in. He's a freshman and he comes in six, six, two thirty five. Justice Suing is a is a. 210, six, 210 pound 66 senior uh who had I think I believe he transferred into Ohio State this is his fifth year and uh he will muscle do he you know as much as as key is like the main guy uh rebounding the ball Justice suing can also pull down his fair share of, of offensive rebounds Sensabaugh is a is a pretty good defensive rebounder so look for um look for those guys to be getting a lot of touches and for Duke to be trying to stop the the offense that runs through not big men per se but bigger guys uh their their starting point guard doesn't doesn't get as many of the um of the touches he's more of a facilitator uh you mentioned suing transferred from, from cal uh but he's been at ohio state now for for three years right and this is an ohio state team that um you know sort of interesting when you look at like who's getting minutes and the such uh, they've got several freshmen you mentioned sensabaugh they've got a couple other freshmen who who are who are in the rotation who are getting significant minutes, but other than those freshmen, it's all like juniors and seniors, most almost all exclusively seniors. Zed Key is a junior, but the rest of the guys who play are all seniors. So this is going to be a team, you know, Duke is a team of teenagers. Ohio State is a team of guys in their in their 20s. Well, depending on how well Jacob Grandison plays. If Jacob Grandison like plays well, then right. Duke is yeah. a team, right? If he gets <laughs> if he gets 25 minutes and hits four three-pointers, all of a sudden Duke has experience. But if Jacob Grandison is limited to seven minutes, no points, and and lets a couple guys blow by him, then uh, Duke is a young team. So, Jason, uh, before we touch on football very quickly, we have to uh, we have to quickly talk about the basketball scheduling news. This is not typically in in late November. Is not typically when we talk about scheduling news. Usually, we don't find out more about scheduling at at this point in the calendar, but. The big news as a sort of downstream effect of the Big Ten changing, getting ready to uh, renew its TV deal is that the wait, wait, ESP- wait, wait. What, happened, what happened was the Big Ten, the Big Ten actually signed a new deal with CBS and Fox. And I think NBC is also involved. Oh, right, right, right. It's, it's mostly involving football. It's about an eight, eight billion billion with a B, an eight billion dollar deal. But it takes Big Ten basketball off of ESPN and ABC. And as a result, and, so, and yeah. ESPN uh, still has the ACC and still has the SEC. So right. the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, is going to conclude after this season, after this week, I suppose, will be the end of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, maybe we will maybe we will mourn its death. Uh, Duke was very successful for the most part in the ACC Big yeah. Ten Challenge. But starting next year, the ACC is going to be matched up with the SEC in a basketball challenge that looks very similar to the ACC Big Ten Challenge. So 
where Duke will no longer get to play the likes of Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State and Wisconsin, some of their most traditional opponents. I think Duke has played Purdue and and Indiana in, in other years in in this tournament or or in this in this showcase. Uh, starting next year, it's going to be the likes of Kentucky and Florida and Arkansas and Tennessee. Uh, lots of good programs in the SEC. I, I think our you know if you're if you're stuck in your biases from. 10, 12 years, 15 years ago, then maybe you don't realize that the SEC is as deep as it is, but the SEC now really is good. very deep. And uh, at, like as good as the Big Ten is, I think the, you know, the Big 12 has been, has been the best conference in college basketball the last few years, but the SEC has been very strong. So what does this mean for Duke? More games against Kentucky, even in the years where Duke doesn't play Kentucky in the Champions Classic, they get a shot at playing potentially at Rupp Arena or or Kentucky coming to Duke, which is, I'm sure, the thing that everyone is, like, most excited about. Kentucky does a, play. A, a friend of mine wrote to me after this was announced, and he said, I will be very disappointed if the first game of the ACC-SEC Challenge is not Kentucky playing in Cameron. Well, and and I, I was going to mention that one of the one of the funny things about Kentucky is that they regularly – they always play Louisville every year. That's, a, that's an in-state yep. rivalry. Uh, they they typically play that game like at the end of December, I believe, or, or early January. They, Louisville tries to fit it in uh, at the end of their non-conference schedule. Kentucky also regularly plays North Carolina in a home and home. So Kentucky is used to going on the road to places that hate them. Uh, so them coming to Cameron, I, look, I'm not I'm not going to equate the Dean Dome with Cameron Indoor. Don't don't get me wrong on that front. But Kentucky is used to going into hostile environments. So uh, that that would be pretty fun. That, you know, there's some interesting little wrinkles to all this that could come up that could be, you know, compelling. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse, former North Carolina great, is still the head coach at Vanderbilt. And while I don't think Vandy's going to rise up to the point where they would get to play Carolina in the ACC SEC challenge, it, you know, maybe it could happen at some point. So that'd be an interesting little thing. I mean, Stackhouse and Hubert Davis certainly know each other. The other thing worth noting were they, is were they teammates? No, Stackhouse is too I don't young think so. to have been. Hubert's teammate. Yeah, Hubert. Hubert, I think, graduated before Stackhouse was there. Just, yeah. but they're they, they you know you know they know each other. Um, that, I think they call that Carolina family. Not that there you go. Not that not that we're buying into their propaganda. We have uh, too much Duke Brotherhood uh, propaganda to believe. Amen, brother. But the other thing I was going to mention was uh, you, you. You mentioned some of the schools in the SEC that are very good. Texas and Oklahoma are joining the SEC in uh, just the next couple of years. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the SEC is adding Texas and Oklahoma. So Texas, Texas, newly resurgent Texas. Yeah. Finally I'm resurgent Texas. Apparently one of the best teams in the country, Texas. Uh, yeah. When you think about what the profile of this of this challenge is going to be and the teams that are going to be worth playing, it is going to be, you know, it's going to be Texas. It's going to be Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas. Arkansas is really really stepped it up lately thanks to name image and likeness auburn has been good lately there are several other schools in the sec that you know that have risen up at various times and uh, you know i think it it, it is a it's going to be a good challenge for the acc the acc has been struggling lately we need to step it up you were talking about the rankings of the conferences right now according to ken pomeroy the SEC is just a tiny touch below the Big Ten as the number three conference. The ACC is well back as the sixth best conference at the moment. Well, and the effect of, of having these challenges for Duke is that they get one more or one very cool game out of it, whether that's yeah. Kentucky or Florida or whoever whoever the opponents will be. And, you know, if, if provided that Duke continues to be one of the best teams in the ACC, they will continue to play one of the best teams in these challenge games. So, uh, you know, I, I, in a way, I will miss Duke getting to play Michigan State so much. But if it means more games with Kentucky and and, and other uh, ascendant teams from the SEC, so be it. Fine by me. Jason, very quickly. <laughs> Duke, Duke beat Wake Forest in football on Saturday. Yeah. Uh I, I unfortunately didn't get to watch enough of this game. Uh, I was I was actually out in I told you I was in Southern California. My dad and I got tickets to the uh, USC Notre Dame football game, so we went to that on Saturday, which was an incredible time. And I don't have time to to tell you all about how how fun the USC football games are. But Duke beats Wake Forest. The final score is thirty four to thirty one. Uh, Duke comes back late in the game on a on a drive that was keyed by by quarterback Riley Leonard and. 
lo and behold, this Duke team that was picked to finish last in the ACC Coastal Division got like almost like the the minimum number of potential votes. Basically, every yeah. writer said the Duke was going to be last into the but division. They weren't going to win a game. The they, they, were, they thought they were not going to win a game in the ACC. Duke was not going to win a game in the conference. And oh my God, Duke ended up in second place in the Coastal Division. A few yep. bounces against Carolina and Duke would have won the Coastal Division. It, it is, it. you cannot state enough what an incredible job Mike Elko and his staff did as we've mentioned on this podcast several times, th- this was not a matter of Elko came in and brought in a ton of transfers or, or like in basketball where you bring in a bunch of freshman recruits. He took the same guys that were non-competitive, non-competitive last year in the ACC and turned them into a team that went eight and four, five and three in the conference. And I, so many so many close, exciting games. Look, Duke was on the wrong end of, mo- of a lot of these close, exciting games. But this Wake Forest game was not one. You know, you, you were talking earlier about the Ken Pomeroy has his little chart of the win probabilities. Did you know that with like three minutes to go in this game, Wake Forest was 93% to win the game, according to ESPN, 93%. This is what that. happens when you go on a on a long uh, game-winning drive with with three minutes left in the game. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so Duke turned that around found a way to win. And one of the things that really impresses me about this team is that they seem to figure out what's going to work each game and go, okay, that's the thing that we're going to succeed at. Because earlier in the season, it was like just a couple weeks ago, I was like, passing doesn't matter. This team's running all over everybody. Remember that? We were this team that was just impossible to stop on the ground. No nope. game. Yeah. This game. Nah, Riley Leonard's going to throw for 391 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, come on. It is and and the other remarkable thing, I can't believe I, Riley Leonard's receivers, like I have no idea which one's going to have an incredible, like Jordan, Jordan Moore, like just a week ago had like 14 receptions, like 170 yards or so. It was like insane. This game, it was Jalen Calhoun with 11 receptions, 174 yards. Samir Hagens, I don't think we've talked about Samir Hagens the entire season on this podcast. Samir and he Hagen, scores the winning touchdown. And he had 139 yards receiving in this game. I I mean, like, the number of weapons that we have discovered, it's just, I can't wait for the bowl game. I don't know which bowl game they're going to be in. I don't want to get into the predictions and stuff. It is, I mean, it is all gravy, and it is all full credit to Mike Elko. If anyone else even gets a vote for ACC Coach of the Year, I'm going to demand a recount. (laughs) And and an absolutely incredible job. Like, if you look back in the history of Duke football, and Jason, you you mentioned we still have a bowl game to play. Uh, eight wins, I think, is like the third most. It's like the third most wins in Duke history uh, for a for, you know when they when they won the conference. Well, in, yeah, in the past like thirty or forty years. Yeah, yeah, not in Duke uh, and, history. And then if you well, if you go farther back, they didn't play as many games. That's true. So, yeah, you're right. Um, so I, I think I think the year that, that Duke last won the ACC in 1989, they only won eight games because uh, that's all that that's all that was needed. So. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I'm not I'm not telling you that the ACC is the best football conference and that the slate that Duke had to run through was was this incredible, you know, 2010s SEC situation. But they won eight football games this year. So they get to play in a bowl game. The one note that um, about the bowl selection. So the bowl selections will happen after all the championship games go through this weekend, because we have to figure out who's playing in the playoff and in all of the uh, like New Year's six type bowls to then cascade down to, to figure out who the rest of the uh, who the rest of the teams are going to play and, and where they're going to slot and which, which bowl games have to take which conferences. And there's lots of confusing uh, contracts and stuff that we don't need to get into here. But one note uh, that I can't remember who put it on the DBR forum, but someone noted that uh, there's a, there's one ACC bowl tie in with the Fenway bowl up in Boston and Duke probably isn't playing in that one because it's in the middle of exams. So uh, Duke is unlikely, I think, unless we were making a big change to the approach to academics at at Duke and uh, vis-a-vis the the athletic program. Uh, Duke will not be playing in the in the Fenway Bowl, but there are plenty of other options for Duke, especially during that week between Christmas and New Year's. So maybe looking at at one of those. But like you said, Jason, we can't speculate too much about where they'll end up. Yeah, I think the most likely ones are the military, the holiday, the pinstripe. Th- those would seem to be 
and the Duke's Mayo Bowl and the Sun Bowl. Those those are the ones that seem like they're probably right in there for 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 Duke. So we will find out what happens there. More importantly, uh, Duke has this this huge game against Ohio State. Hopefully, a bounce back game for Duke against Ohio State tomorrow night. Uh, I am going to be there. So uh, if you're if you're around, say hi. I'm uh, not not I can't remember exactly where I'm going to be sitting, but I am going to be there. So uh, we're very excited for that. Email us dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love getting the headlines. We love hearing from all of you about all of your thoughts about Duke basketball. And and I think now we have crossed over into we get too many. We definitely get too many emails now to respond to them, but yeah. we're doing our best. Right. For a long time, I, I I sort of made it my mission. I was like, I'm going to reply to every single re- email we get, you know, or if like if one of you guys replies, I, I skip it. But um, but yeah, we've reached the point. Um, so, folks, please know we're getting your emails. We can't reply to every one of them. It's too much, <laughs> too much love <laughs> doing, doing our best, though. I yes. I should have also uh, I should have also mentioned uh, it, it's podcast listener. John uh, is the one that emailed us about the. Uh, about the tickets so uh we we i in particular very much appreciate that that he's doing that but uh in general we 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 love that sort of thing and it's nice to have the not just for us but in general the dbr ticket sharing community is a is a good place to be so it's a it's a good reminder to join the forum so dbrpodcast at gmail.com join the discussion on the forums because because we love that forums.dukebasketballreport.com we will be back again very soon to talk more basketball and more duke football for Jason Evans, who is here, for Donald Wine, who at this very moment, I assume, is screaming his head off because this uh, because this USA soccer match uh, kicks off in, in just about 20 minutes from when we are recording. I am Sam Klein. This has been DBR Podcast Episode 463. Duke Band, take us home. Any thoughts on, uh, so we get to go to Universal Studios tonight. Um, if there's one or two things to do at Universal Studios, do you have any thoughts about that? No. Okay. Wait, where are you? You're in LA? Florida. In Orlando. In Florida? Yeah. I mean, I think all the Harry Potter stuff is supposed to yeah. be like off the chain. Yeah. I uh, I, I mean, I, I did it uh, eight or so years ago. It was pretty good then. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I, uh, it's worth the wait. I, I, right. I only, um, I only, uh, so we only get to be there tonight for like three hours. Um, and there's is two Harry pri- Potters. Is it a private event? Like, do you yeah. guys have your run of the park? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's so not bad. We, we uh, but, th- but there's two Harry Potter areas and they're in different places, is my understanding. Um, so I posted on my Instagram earlier. I was like, I was like, all right, between Diagon Alley and Hogsmeade, where should I go? Uh, and I'm now fielding responses. I, I will be interested in hearing the results. I, I will tell you that when uh, years ago, uh, CNN Turner used to get, they used to buy out six flags for a night and we would get, you know. Oh, that's so fun. And yeah, we would just, I mean. You could do anything you wanted. Like it wasn't a matter of, oh, this is further away. Yeah, you know, in the park, it was just like, nah. You, it was. I I can't never tell. Line for anything. It was great. I can't tell how far stuff is from the map, so right. I I don't know if I can get to both because they do appear to be in like distinct places. They might be like they might be like two miles from each other. Um, so I, I don't think it's not quite it's not quite that big. But yes, it can okay. be a while to get around at those places. I, I know. Um, um, did you get to go to Disney at all? No. The, the So I'm at this like corporate retreat that's at Universal. Um, okay. So I flew in. I flew here. Su- I got here Sunday night and I'm staying at like one of the hotels at Universal Studios. Um, right. But we haven't. We've just been in like trainings and stuff. Because um, I will tell you, if you have not done it, both the uh, both the Star Wars ride and the Avatar ride. Ridiculous. I mean, oh, and also the Ratatouille ride at Epcot. Ridiculous. Like yeah. the, the depths that the technology, the immersiveness of the technology is just off the chain. The Rise yeah. of the Resistance ride, I mean, like, 
I, I don't want to spoil it for you. There's stuff that happens that ride that I was just like uh, jaw on the floor. I was like, I am literally inside the movie right well, now. Well, I'm never. Uh, I'm. I'm. I don't know when I'd be going. So even if you tell me now, uh, yeah, it may not come to fruition. For you know, I might have to have children, which is the forever the, and, from now. And the Avatar, the Avatar ride is the most immersive VR experience I've ever had. Cool. You absolutely feel like you are riding on one of those creatures in Avatar. Yeah. It is crazy. It is so good. Well, people, I know so, these things, these rides cost, you know, these rides cost like half a billion dollars each. It's something absurd. Right. Like the amount of money they spend on them. Um, It's totally worth it. <laughs> it's um, totally worth it. The preliminary, the preliminary feedback is saying um, that the best ride is the Hagrid's motorbike ride. Oh, really? Maybe uh, that maybe that's a VR thing similar to the Avatar thing. I think it's I think it's both yeah. like crazy technology and like a cool roller coaster. Right, right. Uh, so our kids are going to experience amusement parks in ways we can only begin to imagine. I know. I know. <laughs> I like I like amusement parks. Like I like rides and stuff, but I don't prioritize it. So like I'm never going on an amusement park vacation. Um, now, like. I, I assume I would do that once I have children, but when you I have not. when you have children, you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trust me. Well, Trust yeah, me. we didn't we didn't really do it much when I was a kid. I don't I, like my parents don't like amusement parks, so like <laughs> it's not. It, it I'm a big roller coaster guy. I've 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 lots of friends, by the way, who aged out of roller coasters, and by that I mean like they they can't do it anymore. Like they get sick. They they just yeah. They you know like they get dizzy and stuff. Like when they hit their 40s or 50s, these men are like, I can't just take Dramamine. I don't need anything, man. I'll any roller coaster. I will You'll do, just do any it. roller coaster anytime. It does not affect me in any way, shape, or form. One of my sons has real trouble. Like he gets sick on them. I'm like, nope. Go for it. I'm I get I'm, I'm lucky. I have a cast. I iron get like stomach. a headache, but I know it's gonna happen. And I'm just like, all right, like don't eat a lot right before I get on a roller coaster. Like, just do it, deal with the headache, and move on.